Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 8.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. a worship series about division and decisions and unity in a cultural context that is about breaking things apart rather than knitting them together. And so it is that we come to the scripture today where Jesus is telling us how to decide what is best. How do we determine who is the greatest? And Jesus' answer is rather surprising. Most of us tend to associate greatness with altitude. And perhaps that's because God reigns on high. And yet, among people, it doesn't translate so literally. The greatest are not the tallest or the highest. In fact, many think that the greatest are in the pulpit. But I tell you that that is not true. That the greatest instead are just more visible from here. The greatest are not often in the pulpit, but rather very apparent in the pew. And so it is from the perspective of high that I'm able to see just how good God is. Instead of it being about where I stand, my greatness is determined by where I kneel. How low am I willing to go in order to be with those who are at their lowest? Greatness, according to Jesus, is not about a sparkling resume. It's not about the power and the authority that you wield for your own sake, but instead how we are willing to serve. So in our scripture today, go figure, the disciples had a dispute. Clearly, disciples of Jesus Christ don't still have disputes. We never sit around and argue. Instead, church life is always happiness, joy, and reconciliation. We all sit around and go to committee meetings, which nobody actually has to struggle to attend because we're always happy to go. And we go into these committee meetings and somebody says, I have a crazy idea that we've never done before and I know that you are all going to love it. And everybody sits there with a giant smile on their face and says, yes, why didn't we do that yesterday? That's church. Somewhere. I haven't been there yet nor have I met anybody who has. But I do believe that there is a place where instead of disagreements, Christians can sow unity. And I do believe that there is a place where greatness is not modeled in things, but in acts of goodness. And so Jesus is directing us to that. He's aware of the world. He understands that his disciples live in a world where greatness is about power and privilege and authority and the way that people look at you and magnify that power and privilege and authority. He's very aware that people think monarchs are it. That's where I want to be. That's where everybody wants to be, up high on that throne with all the gilded glory. And instead, he directs them to the servants' quarters. Instead, he tells them, you are not of the world with kingdoms like that. It's not about being a king or a queen. If you want to be the greatest, 
then you will be the first to serve. If you want to be incredible, then you will be the very first one to seek to aid another. Instead of putting number one first, instead of saying, I can't help you with that, I've got my own issues. Jesus directs them and us to a whole new way of determining what greatness is. And right now, in our world, I think we need a refresher. I think it's time for us to remember that what truly makes people great, what endures long after they take their final breath, is what they did for another. How they were able to magnify the goodness and the mercy of God in acts of compassion and kindness. Instead of living in a world where we use our words to belittle, to cut, to debate, Jesus is directing us to a world that edifies through our world, that lets us use our words to build people up, to push them out into areas they didn't think they could go because they felt unworthy. Using our gifts and our graces to help other people discover that they are loved and known and of infinite worth. That is the power of the truly great. I'm always amazed how many world religious leaders get it. And they're not even Christians sometimes. I always watch the Dalai Lama. I love the way in that beautiful saffron he will get down into the dirt and the dust to be with the poor and the sick. I love the fact that when I watch Pope Francis, the Vicar of Christ, which by the way, that's a fabulous title. I would love that title, Vicar of Christ on my business cards. It's not going to happen. It's all right. I've made peace with that. But that the Vicar of Christ, when he read the words of Jesus that said, go out and feed the hungry, he got out of the ivory tower. And he went into a soup kitchen and fed people. That he didn't just sit on the, pope, the Pope's throne of Peter. Instead, he decided that he would model for all of Christendom, all of the Catholic Church, what it meant. That despite the fact that he speaks church law with his words, he decided to use words to grant grace to single mothers he decided to let people know that they were not the culmination of their sin, that instead they were the presence of God's grace. That kind of love and getting down into the depths, the dirt of ministry, I haven't seen modeled since Mother Teresa. And since neither of those two people are, are Methodist, they're both Catholic, I think we have a lot to learn about what greatness looks like. And we have a lot to model. If we remember that Jesus didn't come as clean as we depict him, that instead this was a man whose hands were dirty, grime and grit coated them underneath his nails because he laid hands and healed people, people with skin disease and all kinds of physical deformities that he put his hands on them. One of the gospel accounts told us that he got into the mud and he put it on their eyes and that that would coat his hands 
and that he spent his life in dirty robes because he was transient and relying on the goodness of others, that his feet were filthy from traveling from town to town, synagogue to synagogue, and that this filthy person was our Savior. That the world looked at him and said, you need to go clean up your act, literally. No Messiah looks like that. That's exactly what our Lord and Savior needs to look like. It's not all about $1,000 suits. It's about being willing to get down into the depths and the darkness and the dirt of this life and be present with people who feel so alone and abandoned and suffering that they can't even see through to the heavens. We're called to be those lights in the darkness that show people that greatness is not here, but it's modeled with them. Are we willing to get down onto our hands and knees and scrub and pray and build and be present with? Or are we going to sit on high and think that we are so great? Jesus had to tell us this because the world is constantly pushing in to the kingdom of God. It is constantly encroaching and actually trying to block the way. Because that's so counterintuitive. I'm supposed to spend my life amassing things. I'm supposed to acquire so much that when I die, my loved ones have to parcel it up. That's the culture. I don't know what my kid's going to do with all these shoes. I'm leaving them all to the olive tree. Somebody else can have them. Because you know what? There's nothing here, nothing that I can take with me into the kingdom to come. Nothing. There's no furniture, there's no clothing, no jewelry, none of it. I can't take anything in with me. My bank account is meaningless in heaven. And yet, the world is telling me that this is where all of my focus should be. Greatness is based upon the amount that I have accumulated and its total worth. That's not greatness because it's not going to last. And if I could leave all of that behind and ensure that I can go into the kingdom where all of my loved ones who have gone before me are, where I can be given a body that is impervious to death and sickness and mourning, that doesn't have tear ducts because there's no crying in heaven, then take it. I'll walk barefoot into that kingdom now. Because that is what is truly great. A place where all people are loved equally. Where all people are valued. Where no one second guesses when God says, you are mine and I love you. Where no one undercuts the message that we are created in the image of God and endowed with dignity and sacred worth. Those things are in this world, and they are not allowed to enter into the kingdom to come. And if I have to shed that here and now so that I can go in there, strip me bare. Because greatness is about the glory of God. And when we are trying to determine which one is greater, then we should look at how it serves the greatest good. How are the people that we respect modeling what it means to give to others. Because I'll tell you, as much as I wish it were me, it's not. Yesterday, in this same sacred space, 
we celebrated the life of John Coleman. And here, two ordained elders stood up in that pulpit, and we did our very best to bring comfort to those who mourn through our preaching and our prayers and our liturgy. But we were not the greatest here that day. The greatest started happening two hours before that funeral. It started in the kitchen in the fellowship hall when the United Methodist women of this church came to serve. And they came here and they prepped and they cooked and they set the table. And then they served those who were broken and hurting and aching. And the greatest that day did not wear the signs of ordination. It wore the sleeves of servanthood. Because long after my words stopped echoing, the love and the care and the nourishment of the body, the mind, and the spirit continued through those women and their acts of goodness. I'm just privileged to see it. And I'm duty-bound to name it. So greatness does not look like the one who wears the white robe. If I truly wanted my robe to remind you of Jesus, I'd go roll around in the dirt. If I truly wanted to remind you of Jesus, I would give up my time and go out and use it like he did. And I'm still learning to do that. I'm still learning to say that despite everything that I've done, there's still more work to do. That when God says, good job, good servant, get a drink and get back out there. I don't go, no, I need a timeout. Do you know all that I did this morning? Of course you do, you're God. I need a break. But I serve a Savior who didn't stop until he was done. Until he could say, it is finished. Until he could look down from the cross and say, these people who put me here, forgive them, Father they will never understand what they have done. And so rather than holding my sin against me and your sin against you, God looks down from on high and says, I have come to serve you. I have come and lowered myself into this fragile and frail vessel. And I have taken all of your issues, all of your guilt and your sin, and I have laid it on my shoulders. And I have baptized it with my blood. And so you are free. You are liberated to be whatever you want. And what do we choose to be? Will we be great as the world sees it? Or will we be, will we be great as God commands? As the psalm says, the law of the Lord is perfect. God's law is to love God and love one another. And that is a dirty thing. It means getting covered in the grime of human relationship. It means getting dirty because you can't be in right relationship with somebody and be clean like Purell. It means that our duty to God and to one another and to those that have not yet found their place in these pews and in this chancel will come to understand that we are willing to go where they are and not stand over them, but be with them.
And if we spend all of our time up there, we will miss all of the grace and the goodness that only happens here. Jesus told the disciples, become like the youngest, become like the children, because children will get dirty. After 8.30, some child had put gook all over my wrist, and I didn't notice it till I needed to look at my watch. And part of me went, oh. And part of me went, oh. Because instead of saying, no, don't touch me, you are unclean. For some child that probably can't properly articulate it, they hugged somebody who was close to God. But the truth is that I let myself be hugged by somebody who's closer than I. We have to switch in our minds the idea of what is great because these children will show us the passion with which they live, the way in which they are curious and want to grow, the times that they are cantankerous and filled with self-righteous anger at us, the times when they love without the jaded adulthood that we have come to bask in. That is what we've lost. We age, we mature, we grow into worldly greatness, and we lose a piece of something that God meant for us to have forever. And God knows that we were created for more than self-serving interest. That when God was creating humankind, God looked down and said, this is very good. This is precisely what I want. And God would invest in us God's divine spark, all of creation to sustain us and uphold us, giving us dominion over it, and letting us have control of the decisions that we will make into the future. And knowing because God is omniscient that we would mess up, God still let us have it all. And so we have to become those who say, we have everything, and all I want is God. The greatness looks like shunning the things that separate us and embracing the one that came to unite us all together. When you come into this place, the one thing that I think is very visible is that there is an aisle between you. And I spend a lot of time standing in that aisle and when my job as clergy is to lead you in your worship, standing in the place of Jesus Christ, leading the body in its worship of God the Father through the presence of the Holy Spirit, I am aware of how insufficient I am to be your connector. Because I still sin. And I know that I am not the greatest because God has given me eyes to see it. But I know that if we are willing, that we can bridge any aisle, any gap, any chasm, any breach, any brokenness, that God can fix all things. Because right now, in the midst of a hurricane and a storm that has already taken lives where destruction and floods 
are abundant, God's goodness is on the ground and getting very dirty. There are service workers and emergency workers. And thank God that as a church, we have established something the likes of Uncor. Because where we feel incapable of going and sometimes unwilling, God's goodness will still go forth and people will be blessed and unburdened. And so it is that we learn time and time again that greatness is not the one who rises above all of us, but the one who came to get down in the midst of our lives in all of its dirtiness and stickiness and love us in spite of it. May that be what we do this day and every day. May we determine to be great because of how low we are willing to go to reach those that have suffered because of sin and the natural evil of this world. God is with us. And only us, only we, can prevent that goodness from going forth. Let us become willing conduits and vessels of a greatness that is far beyond our deserving. May it be so in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.